Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that by changing how we respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it, we can move away from struggling with insomnia and toward living the life we want to live. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, disorder, or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counseling, medical advice, or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. The stress of COVID and the breakup of Jessie's community created a period of sleep disruption that she couldn't shake off, no matter how hard she tried. At first, she found it really hard to fall asleep, and soon after that, she started to wake during the night and found it hard to fall back to sleep too. Difficult nights became more frequent. At first, they would show up just once a week, then twice a week, then a few times a week. As sleep got more difficult, Jessie started to get really scared, and things spiralled from there, because no matter what she did in an attempt to get her sleep back on track, she continued to struggle. Jessie took medication that didn't seem to be helping, but she worried that if she didn't continue to take it, things would get worse. She felt desperate, hopeless, and alone. She felt as though she was losing control over her life. One day, Jessie found the Insomnia Coach podcast and started to feel hope as she listened to the stories of others who had experienced what she was going through. And from there, she decided to work with me. One of Jessie's transformational moments came when she decided to continue working, still go out with friends, and still do things that mattered to her even after difficult nights and even when she felt really tired. By doing this, she started to take back control of her life, even when insomnia was still present. And she realized this also gave her the opportunity to focus on things other than sleep. Jessie started to realize that the more she tried to fight or avoid all the difficult stuff that came with insomnia, the more difficult things became. So she started to acknowledge whatever she was thinking or feeling and practiced being kinder to herself when things were difficult. As she allowed her thoughts and feelings to flow with less resistance, Jessie realized that her thoughts often contained important information and reminders of what was important to her. She also realized that her mind could often be an unreliable narrator that what it said wasn't always true or accurate. These insights helped Jessie separate herself from her thoughts and feel less influenced and controlled by them. Today, Jessie considers her sleep to be quite normal. She's no longer tangled up in a struggle, trying to control her sleep. She is living the life she wants to live. Although she was certainly not grateful for her insomnia while she was struggling with it, she now sees the experience as giving her the opportunity to recognize her own resilience and the confidence to do hard things. She now believes that the experience of insomnia helped to catapult her into the next phase of her life. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Okay, Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast. Yeah, no problem. It's exciting to be here. I've been looking forward to it. 
let's just uh, dive right in and get started as always, like right at the beginning. Um, when did your sleep problems first begin and what do you think caused those initial issues with sleep? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, my sleep problems began sort of right maybe a few months after quarantine began in the US, um, in California. I was living at the time in San Francisco in a big co-op with around 20 people, which wow. <laughs> maybe it, it, at that time it was, I absolutely loved it and it was all my best friends and I was so deeply attached to that community. And when COVID happened, it presented a lot of challenges for community living. And there was just a lot of conflict, a lot of people. It had been a very stable place. And I had lived there like five years, best friends there, again, very, very attached to this space. Couldn't imagine life without it. And during COVID, people moved out, two factions started joined, happening in the house. And there was just incredible, incredible conflict. And it was really unclear. It, it wasn't this safe home anymore. It was this place of conflict and mm -hmm. and people leaving. And I think it was just deeply, deeply, deeply troubling to me. And I think it started off a stress reaction that actually started, um, I got, like I've never had had acid reflux before, but I came down with that. And then that happened. And then a few months later, the insomnia started to happen and it just got worse and worse. And yeah, but it was very much triggered by, I think, feeling very deeply uh, like this deep source of home and attachment had been completely overturned and feeling really sort of unsafe and, and, and concerned about the future of this community and these relationships. So what was sleep like for you at that time? Was it kind of you were just starting to find it hard to fall asleep at the start of the night or was it waking during the night and finding it hard to fall back to sleep or maybe maybe it was a combination of all of those things yeah that's so well one thing i think is kind of interesting and i think it kind of goes to some of this stuff around how sleep hygiene is really not that useful because i had come down with this acid reflux and my doctor had told and i was someone who drank caffeine in the morning and then had like maybe a glass of wine at night um and I had stopped both of those because of the reflux. I was told that would help. But um, so I was technically in this state where I was not drinking caffeine or alcohol. That's actually when the insomnia happened. <laughs> so it just further mm. proved to me that, um, you know, it's, it's really not related to those things at all. Um, but yeah, no, I, I remember uh, it happened kind of slowly. Like it would just be a few nights where I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. Um, and then it would sort of become, it kind of progressed, I think, as my stress around the community just falling apart progressed. And then it turned into like not being able to fall asleep or waking up in the middle of the night. And it, it would just happen at either, you know, it, it wasn't consistently not being able to fall asleep or waking up in the middle of the night. It was just both, it was both of those. And it was more just like it was increasing, I think. So the off nights maybe started out once a week, they started going twice a week, started going a few times a week. I started, then I started developing the fear of not being able to sleep and it becoming something, a fear around sleep, not just my stress around the community and started Googling insomnia and finding all these diagnoses of like, if you're like, you're having off nights twice a week, you have insomnia. And then I started really freaking out and thinking I had a condition and and it just kind of spiraled, honestly. And I, yeah, it really spiraled from there. So, so you kind of touched upon it there. What most of us do when we face a problem in life is we kind of turn to turn to Google to find the answers. Um, what what kind of things had you tried, you know, before you found Insomnia Coach, before you kind of began this journey um, where now you're able to kind of look back and know what was helpful and what wasn't quite so helpful? What kind of things had you tried back then um, that on reflection, you know, it's understandable why we tried them, but perhaps they weren't that helpful in the end? I tried so many things. I, I tried 
like a valerian root. I tried CBD. I tried magnesium. I tried, oh man, I, I, try, I don't smoke marijuana. Um, it doesn't really agree with my, me. Like I get kind of anxious on it, but I, you know, I decided mm -hmm. maybe marijuana will do it. I tried that, got really anxious, was up for like many hours because <laughs> mm -hmm. I was so anxious. It was very much not the right thing. But I was, I was like, I'll try anything. Um, again, I, as, as I mentioned, I wasn't even drinking caffeine or alcohol during that time. So I, like, I didn't, mm -hmm. like, that, that was not even part of my diet. Um, what else? I tried sleeping in different rooms. Like I tried asking my friend, because I started to have a negative association with my room in my house. And um, I think also because I... I was doing everything in that room during quarantine. I was working in that room. I was sleeping in that room. I was hanging out in that room. It was this tiny room with everything. So I've I tried, I got some of my housemates who were gone. I tried to like go to their room with an off night. Um, I tried, I tried more abstract like psychotherapy work. Like I, I was like, clearly maybe there's something deeper to solve here. So I think I tried psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And just doing that, that didn't work. Um, I also, man, I tried writing all my worries out on a piece of paper before bed. Because I know that's a technique where I picked, you can get your worries out that way. That did not help. That technique really did not work for me. It just made me kind of think mm. about my worries more. It, did, it didn't feel like a release. Um, and then, like, I guess, like, the biggest thing I tried, I had kind of a freak-out call with my primary care doctor, who's wonderful. She's a really wonderful doctor. And I had a, a real, like, breakdown call with her, and she prescribed me trazodone. Um, yeah, trazodone, it, which is more an anti-anxiety medication. Um, but I remember, I think I, she was just, I, I think I was calmer after that call because she seemed confident that it might work and so I remember I took the first trazodone pill and slept well that night and so I was like okay maybe this well this is the last straw like I, I it's my primary care doctor is the last thing I'm trying and it's this if this doesn't work nothing will work and I remember I slept well that mm -hmm. night I think because I was just calm because we had had a very emotional session and I had just vented about everything and all the grief I was feeling and she seemed confident, but then the second night, the second night is it didn't it didn't work, and I had a terrible night of sleep. And then I really like sort of started to lose hope because mm. because if the thing my doctor hadn't prescribed didn't work, then I didn't know who was gonna have confidence. If my doctor couldn't be confident in this, then like I didn't know who could. So yeah that was the trigger to that actually led and, and actually one thing in the background i had i remember i had tried reaching out to stand to, to 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 sleep therapists i had googled i was like is there some kind of therapy that specializes in sleep i just was thinking is there some specialist sleep specialist and i remember googling stanford and calling them because I, I lived near stanford at the time and trying to get an appointment with them and they couldn't give me an appointment for like six months or something wow. because they were so backed up because there were so many people having insomnia issues at this moment in quarantine i think a lot of people you know were having a similar situation to me and that life stressors had gotten out of control and then this had triggered insomnia so i i remember just thinking like there's no hope there and and I as I can just share, so this like all this moment of the trazodone not working, I was just so desperate, I remember, and feeling just hopeless and so alone. So alone. I felt like no it, just so alone. It was such a I felt like there was this huge filter on me in the world and me in my future. Mm. And, um, but I remember I was walking the dog and I was like just looking at my phone, desperate to not feel so alone in this. And I just, I have a St the Stitcher podcast, and I just searched insomnia. And that, like, I just did that, and your program showed up, which is so serendipitous. And I was like, insomnia coach, interesting. And then I remember listening. I still remember the first interview of yours with this, this woman, this wonderful woman I listened to on my walk. And that was seriously a transformational moment because I had never heard 
insomnia success story and I had never everyone had just told me that you know if you have insomnia you're stuck with it for the rest of your life it's just kind of this hopeless thing and I remember like that was the first thing that gave me hope and then I found your program but it was really out of after desperation and trying so many things and you know even the doctor prescribed medicine wasn't even working um yeah, yeah, it was a long road to find your podcast. You're not the first person to say like how powerful it was just to find other people out there sharing their story and not only sharing their story as in all the ways they're struggling, you know, so we know that we're not alone, but when people are talking about their kind of transformation, you know, that it is possible to change our relationship with sleep. It doesn't have to be this struggle, this battle that we have to endure all night, every night and struggle with all day, every single day. There is a way through it all. And that in itself can be so comforting. Um, You know, it's so easy to just believe that we're broken, right? When we're caught up in this huge struggle with it. But the truth is none of us are ever broken. We just, we get stuck from time to time and we just need a little bit of help getting unstuck. Um, and that's why I'm so grateful, you know, for people like yourself who are willing to come onto the podcast and just share their story because every story um, is maybe a little bit, little bit different, but the, the big theme is generally the same. You know, there's like this trigger for the sleep disruption. There's all the things that we try to do to fix it which tend not to be that helpful, then that leads to more worry, makes us think there's something uniquely wrong. Um, But when we hear that story in others and recognize that we're not unique, we're not alone, there is a way forward, it's just so powerful and so comforting and reassuring and motivating. So I'm really grateful um, for guests just like yourself coming on and sharing their story. Yeah, no, your po- your podcast was actually a huge part of my recovery. Like, because, you know, I did your program, and of course, off nights happen. And we're what I would always do when I was sort of in that point where I had an off night, and I was getting a little stressed or worried, or my trust was getting a little shaken, I would just go on a long walk. I remember I had these walks, these like hikes and walks throughout Los Angeles where I was that I would go on. And I would just listen to a new one of your stories. And like that was the medicine that helped me in these moments of doubt and fear. Um, like I just would listen to one of your stories. I, I feel like I listened to like so many of them. Um, it, it is just one of those things where I feel like it takes, you can hear the same thing over and over. It, it helped to hear it over and over again and from different people. Like it didn't get old. It was just every single time it was incredibly useful. Every new voice was incredibly useful. And it really just helped me normalize. Um, like it, it gave me a lot of hope and also just normalized for me the twists and turns and ups and downs of the journey because uh, it's, it was a nonlinear journey and to hear their different stories yeah. and, and all their unique twists and turns and moments of doubt, it just, it was so, so helpful. And, and I think there was something about moving, like I was just walking, going on these long nature walks, listening to, to their voices and it just really helped me get through this. Um, and, and there was no, and I'm someone who if I'm going through emotional pain or a struggle, I actually do share it with a lot of people. <laughs> like I'll be open and because mm. I'm trying to get wisdom and advice from people and figure out how to navigate through this difficult situation. And I was doing that with insomnia and like, and no one, I didn't get any, like all the, the, the nourishment of the stories on your podcast, I was not finding in my community or in the people I was yeah. sharing with. Um, so it was just, so incredible like I, I wasn't finding that perspective anywhere else in, in, in my life so it, it's such a huge part of my recovery like I know it's not even officially part of your program but that was a huge part of your program for me is that supplemental mm-hmm. listening to the podcast and the interviews yeah it's, it's kind of amazing isn't it when you listen to some of these episodes um that everyone's journey is remarkably similar like from the start line to the kind of finish line but the journey itself like the twists and turns or the direction we take there can be some little differences there but broadly speaking 
the journey is almost identical from person to person. It's really interesting, you know, just the whole process from going from, you know, the struggle and all the effort to a place where we kind of remove ourselves from that struggle, remove ourselves from the effort, kind of open ourselves up to, you know, doing things that we have control over, you know, focusing on our actions rather than getting tangled up in a battle with all the stuff that's out of our control. Um, and I think it, it's really helpful to hear it in lots of different voices and from people with lots of different backgrounds because although from person to person the message might be quite similar we all express ourselves a little bit differently right so you might have heard something said a few times before but it doesn't click until someone describes it in a certain way that kind of really resonates with you um and yeah so it it, it can be so powerful to just hear those stories and just realize that we're not alone we're not broken, there's nothing uniquely wrong, and that there is a way to, to move through this. Yeah, absolutely. Before we kind of move on to that process of transformation, I'm just curious to hear how you were finding that the insomnia was affecting like your days, the kind of life that you wanted to live, because a lot of the time we hear about insomnia being difficult at night, but what a lot of people don't realize that maybe have never really experienced insomnia before is it's kind of like this 24 hour a day struggle. It's not just the nighttime, it's the days that can be difficult too. So what were, how is insomnia kind of affecting your days, affecting your, your waking life, so to speak? Yeah, it, it was hugely affecting my life <laughs> before I found your podcast. It was, it was, it was, it was a really, it's a big shadow over my life. I think yeah. um, as it happened more consistently, I was still living in this community house that was sort of having all this tension, but I was still quite attached to. And as I was unable to sleep increasingly more and more, I just felt this kind of filter between me and the world around me and in, 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 my, in my future and an exciting life and connection to others. And I just felt isolated from the world and like not an active participant in my life, my future, my dreams. Uh, I, I really felt so alone and, and, and I couldn't get excited about life. I felt my like my life had been ruined kind of and I, I couldn't even envision sort of like what I could I couldn't even think about my future or anything. Um, and so I remember it got so bad that I I was so attached to this 22 person community and I didn't want to leave. I, I really wanted to stick it out through the conflict and work through and rebuild because we were kind of bringing in new people and rebuilding the community at that time. And I wanted to be there and participate in that and kind of make that the next chapter of my life. But I felt so I, I couldn't do it. And so I actually ended up um, moving home to live with my parents for a period during COVID because I, I just needed support. Uh, and it's one of those things where it's like, it was so hard at the time. It was, it was incredibly hard for me to leave my community and move home. But in hindsight, it was a really beautiful thing because I had this really special period of life living with my parents, which I never would have had before. And it was during COVID. So it wasn't quite as, um, that was like relatively a normal thing to do. And so it didn't feel as uh, it didn't feel it, it felt it, it, it felt uh, it didn't feel like I was totally leaving the, the youth or like young person's life um, in the same way. And yeah, and so I moved home with my parents and still, though, I, that, that didn't fix the insomnia. So I, I moved home with my parents. I was in a more supportive environment with less conflict and it was more peaceful. I, I wasn't in the middle of the city. I thought that was, I guess, another thing I tried. I thought that might fix it, but it didn't. <laughs> but um, it was still nice to be with them and it, I, I did feel kind of safer there. But I think the other thing that started to really affect my life is, is I really liked my job actually at the time. I'm a like, design strategist. I work at a really cool design agency and I was actually like I enjoy my job, but I, I was because of the insomnia and my job is a lot of thinking and like higher level cognitive tasks. And I was struggling. I was really, really struggling. Um, mm. Like 
I was every day to, to do the things I needed to do for my job because I was so tired. And I remember I was thinking about, I just needed to quit my job and just really like quit my job, live at home, just heal, do nothing. That was kind of my instinct is I, I, and I remember talking to my parents and they were like, if you need to do that, that's fine. Um, and also this was meanwhile, I was actually supposed to be launching into something that was even more intense, which is I had my job and then I was doing a master's program in behavioral science, which was supposed to kick off at the same time. That got delayed a year anyway, just because of COVID, because it was it's in London. It's like this like travel to London thing. Um, but anyway, I was like in my head, I was like, I can't, I can't even conceive of doing school and my job at this. Like, I can't even do my job. Like I like I am really the future I had envisioned for myself is so far from reality. Um, yeah. And like I was single, and I was like, I can't even imagine trying to date in this state. Um, yeah. So anyway. At, I'm just kind of rambling, but I, I do feel like all the dreams and everything I was engaged in, I was just kind of felt like I couldn't do anymore. And I, it was really yeah. unsettling. Yeah, it, it's really interesting just hear you describing all that, because when we're faced with all these difficulties, you know, that, that problem solving mind, it kind of goes into overdrive, right? And it tells us, all these things that we should kind of withdraw from or we should avoid or that we can't do um, and because our brain is kind of like our best friend always there for us always looking out for us we can often just accept what it says without question you know and so it's telling us oh maybe you should call in sick or maybe you should quit your job or maybe you can't go out with friends you can't go dating you haven't got enough sleep and so we just we kind of listen to that and we can so easily get caught up in it and kind of pushed away from the kind of life we want to live so now not only are we dealing with that struggle of the insomnia and the wakefulness but we're also we're kind of withdrawing from all the things that are important to us and that kind of help us live a rich and meaningful life um that was actually a big like because i i feel like in my head if you're sick or not feeling well, you need to rest or, you know, that's like the association I had. And so I thought that taking a sick day, that taking, that quitting my job, which I liked, but didn't think I could handle that not going on outings with friends. Yeah. I thought all these things were ways I could heal and rest and it was the right thing to do. Um, and so it was a huge like aha moment i think in your program and i didn't hear otherwise like everybody else supported that they're like yeah take it easy like take a nap take a sick day that was what all, my community and parents and everyone they were so supportive of these things you know because they had the mm -hmm. same conception that if you're sick you're not feeling mentally well you need to rest and so yeah like hearing your podcast and hearing like really hearing you confidently say that's the wrong thing to do and you should continue to live your full life. Um, and that, that was a huge aha, because once I knew that, I it really relieved the pressure off sleep because I, I realized that, uh, yeah, that I could do these things. And, and it was nice, because I think before I had had this mixed relationship, because I thought they were maybe hurting me and making it worse because I was tired mm. and not feeling well. But once the switch in my brain flipped and and I, after hearing about you know the, your techniques, and I started associate associating being really tired but still going out with friends, being really tired but still going to work, being really tired but not taking a sick day as like good and healthy and helping me versus bad and hurting me. Uh, it was a really big turnaround. That was a huge turnaround moment. Um, so yeah, anyway, just that was a big big moment for me. It's tricky, right? Because we still want to keep doing things that are important to us, that are meaningful, but at the same time, we are human beings still, right? And so we still have to kind of mix that in with some self-kindness or some self-care, you know, um, like kind of acknowledge that, yeah, this is, things are difficult for me right now. Um, you know, maybe if I'm kind of training for a marathon or something, maybe I won't go out and do a 20 mile run today. Maybe I'll just do like a 10 mile run, or maybe I'll just do some work on my training routine or some research on that. So we can still do things that are connected to 
things that are meaningful and important, even if we might not necessarily feel like up for the whole shebang, you know, just kind of diving right into everything, that really overwhelming schedule um, after really difficult nights. We can we can still do things that are connected to what to what matters, to what's important. Um, so we can exercise some self-care without it completely derailing us you know and just leading to us withdrawing from life and moving away from the kind of life we want to live so it's a little bit of a balance right um and so i think we do need to be kind to ourselves recognize that we are human but as you said really we got two choices right when we're faced with that struggle is we can kind of give up and withdraw from everything that's important to us or we can see if there's any way we can continue to do what matters, what we find important, what we find meaningful and enriching, you know, just to keep us moving on that right path, moving toward the life we want to live, um, you know, the person we want to be, because the only possible alternative is moving away from that self. And that doesn't usually help us over the longer term. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. I, I, oh, I think self-kindness. Uh, sleep or not, it's just something that is such a big deal to practice. Like I've been actually really trying to work on that in just life in general because it's so important. But it's as you're saying this, I, I totally agree because when I reflect on the, my journey, uh, so technically like moving home with my parents could have been viewed as a retreat, but actually it was such a good move. Like I'm very happy I did that. I was in a really fragile state. I really needed that like mom and dad yeah. nourishment and like that home cooked meal every night and that level of attention and like to not be in an environment that had a lot of conflict and was stressful mm -hmm. like that. So it's a good point. It's like balancing, still doing what you're going to do, but also being kind to yourself and acknowledging you are in, at least for me, I was in like a fragile state and I needed to be in an environment if possible that would be a nurturing one. It can be a lot easier once that stuff's behind us to kind of reflect back and be like, yeah, I, I did the right thing by trying to kind of stick to what mattered, you know, by still going into work, not calling in sick, you know, going out with friends. But when we're kind of tangled up in all in all that struggle, it's really hard to do things like that. Right. Um, so I'm curious to hear how 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 are you able to kind of face that? So you went through this process of kind of withdrawing from things or considering withdrawing from things, turned that around and decided, no, I'm going to do this stuff anyway. Um, what was that process like and how did you manage to kind of stay committed to following through on that, especially when you were feeling really tired or really fatigued or really anxious, really frustrated, dealing with all that difficult stuff that tends to come with insomnia? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question because it is a it's a distinctive space to be to having not slept well. And for me, I mean, I think for everybody, but I, sleep very much affects my emotions. It's so helpful to realize we can still do everything, and you know, we can still live a full life even with an off with off nights of sleep. But I, it, you know, I I really don't feel oftentimes well after sleeping really really poorly. Um, and so, yeah, I, how do I battle through that? Because it's not fun <laughs> because, you know, you're not feeling well. I think for me, again, just the, kind of the mantra that like, this is good. And also that I'll be more tired tonight after this. I think also, uh, I think there's a couple other things. I think one, I also think about the alternative. And when I'm in that state, just like being alone and like watching Netflix, that doesn't make me feel great either. Like I start ruminating. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like things, things that aren't just kind of doing, I guess, things that te technically are associated with kind of taking a break don't necessarily help because after just if I were to just lie in bed all day and like try to read or watch Netflix, I might feel I'll probably feel even worse after that for, for myself. Some that could be nourishing, but for me, I, I'll probably just start ruminating more. Um, and then I think a big thing for me that helps, and I think this is different for everybody, but I think 
being able to sort of be open with how I'm feeling, if, if I'm doing something social or especially if it's something social like going out with a friend or even work though, just being able to be emotionally honest with whoever I'm with and just say, I'm not feeling well today. I'm excited to be with you and to be here, but I'm not feeling well today and maybe share a little bit about what's going on that's hard. And I found that really helped because then I felt just a deeper emotional connection with them. I felt less alone. And I, even though I was feeling awful, I could still more fully engage in that activity with them. And, but not everyone can hold that, you know, so that I could use that for some people and not others. But that really helped. I think on those off nights, days after off nights, if I could be in environments where I could be a little bit emotionally honest about how I'm not feeling well, I could kind of connect more deeply and get more engaged, even though I wasn't feeling great. Maybe it's connected to acknowledgement, right? Just acknowledging that we're not feeling good and that that's okay for us not to be feeling good in that moment. Um, and then combining it with still doing things that are important. It's sometimes we, it's like we swap, but friend. So for example, I want to go out, but I feel exhausted. So what if we can change it to, I want to go out and I feel exhausted or I'm going to go out, but I feel exhausted. I'm going to go out and I feel exhausted. So there's that difficulty there. There's that, that stuff that's around us that's showing up that we wish wasn't there. We're acknowledging that, but then we're still doing what matters, even though there's that stuff we wish wasn't there, even though that is still present, we're still able to do what matters and do what's important, even though it's there. Yeah, I, I really love that. And, and I think that's something just in life in general I'm working on is just realizing that two things can that are really different can be true at the same time and that like holding space for all that complexity um, and realizing it can live together and all be true um, even though it seems at odds and having a kind heart towards all of it because um, yeah it's like yeah it's not like I feel awful I'm gonna go out and <laughs> yeah. yeah and I think it is good because I, I acknowledge I think for me I think it makes it when I can't acknowledge the emotional truth of I feel awful it makes it worse because then, then I'm like putting all this energy towards masking it and I'm feeling kind of guilty that I feel awful and yeah it's just it makes it way harder um it's like this double arrow like I like there's like this Buddhist concept of like the single arrow is just feeling awful and then the double arrow is then like feeling bad about it and trying to hide it and all these things and it's like why shoot yourself it's like a double arrow like just the single arrow is bad enough so anyway yeah it's nice to be able to acknowledge the really negative feelings that happen during insomnia and just hold them and just not try to pretend like you're happy <laughs> At that moment. So th this is probably related, but one thing I was curious to hear from you is, you know, because I remember when we were working together, every now and then when you'd kind of have some difficult nights um, coming back, you know, you'd have some good nights, maybe we'd start to feel a little bit more confident and then some difficult nights happen and we find, you know, that confidence gets shaky again. Maybe this isn't going to work. This, I'm, you know, I'm broken, I'm beyond help. All those fear and worries and anxieties and frustrations, all that difficult stuff would start to show up again. Um, how did you start to respond to that? you know, that arrival of all those thoughts and those feelings that are really difficult and uncomfortable in like in a different way to maybe you had once responded to them in the past. Yeah, that's a really good um, question. I, I think I think a big thing that was helpful was sort of separating my thoughts from reality or like just because it is real, like I'm really having these thoughts, doesn't mean it's true. Um, doesn't mean these thoughts are true. So I, I think there was something nice about separating myself from the thoughts. Um, and to be honest, I think it was like, I, as I mentioned earlier, it was just listening to this, like in those moments, just like listening to your podcast, like going on a walk, listening to your podcast, reminding myself, everybody goes through this. And I guess that was it. It was also, so it was one, just realizing these thoughts are like, just because we think something doesn't mean it's true in our mind. This is, this is a habit, a habit of my mind.
but then also realizing that this is a very normal part of the process. Like had an off night, that's normal. It would be it would be not normal to not be having an off night. Like this is actually like the normal, correct, right part of the process. This is not a linear process. I've listened to a million interviews. Everyone's talked about various types of this kind of thing happening. Um, so that that was also, I think, a big thing. It's just really instilling off night is not off. It's actually on. It's just normal. That's actually to be expected. Um, mm -hmm. And, and like, then just crystallizing that with all the interviews that you had done and really hearing how they all had had off nights too. And like, and I think now, so I think that was what I did when I was in the height of the insomnia. And then now I have off nights too, you know? Like I do think I'm like a, a sensitive sleeper um, in general, but yeah, now I don't even get worried about off nights at all. Cause it's, it's just, it's always very, I just, I think about why, and there's all, like, you know, it's normally a stressor. I mean, there's still off nights where I just, I don't even know why, <laughs> but a lot of times, you know, there's a reason and I just don't even think, I don't think anything of it anymore. I just, I just know that it's really, really normal to have off nights. Even people who don't have insomnia, it's really, really normal to have off nights depending on what's going on in your life. And like, I'm not religious. But um, there is something about, I, lately I have been doing some kind of spiritual work, I guess. And something I have been trying to cultivate is just a bit more like trust and faith in the universe and just the twists and turns of life in general. And I, I think, I don't know, that's a hard thing to quantify. That's like really hard to quantify and, but I think just kind of having trust and faith in a more abstract spiritual sense also helped and just really just trusting in the twists and turns of this weird universe and feeling like there's something, feeling like confident that my growth, it'll result in my growth and, and that process, mm -hmm. I guess. So, you know, you said earlier on that, you know, you're finding that you're practicing separating yourself from your thoughts. And I thought that was a really interesting sentence. I'm curious to hear your thought on what you believe that process to be. Um, just from what we've discussed so far, it sounds to me like the way you are separating yourself from your thoughts involve first acknowledging the thought, allowing it to, to exist, um, maybe naming it, um, noticing it, and then maybe asking yourself what it's saying. Um, you know, is the, what's, is there some meaning? What's my mind trying to tell me here? So for example, let's say we have a job interview and we're feeling really anxious about it. Well, what's our mind telling us? It's probably telling us that this is important to us. You know, that this is meaningful to us. Um, it's not trying to kind of sabotage us. There's probably some information inside that thought that's useful. And then taking all that in and then deciding how, how do we want to respond? because ultimately we always get to choose how to respond. Um, and we can respond in a way that maybe isn't using that information well. So let's use that job interview. We're feeling anxious. Okay, I'm feeling anxious because this is a job that I really want. It's really aligned with my values and who I wanna be, but I'm feeling anxious. Maybe I should call in and cancel it. So we've got that choice, right? We can understand what that thought is telling us and then work in a way that is aligned with the life we want to live. So we still go to that interview, even though we feel anxious, or we can use that information and kind of get pushed away from the life we want to live. We really don't want to experience that anxiety. So we cancel the job interview and move away from that opportunity. Um, so separating myself from my thoughts, does that sound like the process that you follow where you're acknowledging the appearance of the thought, trying to maybe not spending forever, but it, what's it telling me here? Is it trying to tell me something and then choosing how to respond? Would you say that that's like, that's the gist of it or was it different for you? Yeah, no, I, I think it has a lot of, had a lot of those components. I think, I think getting to sort of the emotional truth of the thought, like less the words of the thought, but more like get to your point, like mm. what is the emotion? Anxiety. Okay. I'm feeling anxiety. Why am I feeling anxiety? I think the other thing is like the specific, like what helped me a little bit is the specific thought. Um, like 
you're never going to sleep again. Your life is ruined. Like those really extreme sort of worst case scenario spiraling thoughts. I would also just think back to how many times I've had those thoughts and they've not been true and that they've been wrong. Um, Cause like, you know, that my mind will spiral about things besides just sleep, you know? And I think it really helps helped for me to also realize this is an unreliable narrator. This is not a reliable source of fake news. Like it's like actually it's like literal fake news, you know? And so to yeah. really just think about how, how many times I've had these thoughts and they've been wrong. And like the emotional truth is real and that's worth exploring. But like the actual iteration of this thought that is like so extreme, so intense. This is like, this is like fake news type um, like headline grabbing, sort of extreme, not accurate information. And that also really helped me personally. Mm. I love that idea of it, of the mind being like an unreliable narrator. I think that's great. Like to, when you said that, my mind kind of went to, you know, maybe watching a talk show. If we just kind of imagine all of our thoughts as being like a talk show presenter. So they might say stuff that's really helpful, really interesting stuff we agree with. But at the same time, they're just as likely to say stuff that's not really helpful, might be completely inaccurate, and might be stuff that we don't agree with. Yeah, and it's so funny because it seems negative, but it adds like such a relief to me. Like, because I have that about other things too. I'll have the freak out and just like the realization that this is an unreliable narrator. It's just such a relief. I'm like, okay, great. I don't have to believe everything my mind is telling me. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think it can just serve as another reminder that even when the mind is generating all this different stuff, ultimately, we still get to choose how to respond to it, um, which is really what it comes down to. And anything that we find a useful way of helping separating us from the mind, separating our actions from our thoughts can be really useful. Um, so, so I'm sure there's going to be someone listening here that, you know, that's really going to resonate with them, you know, just um, next time I hear all those thoughts come up, I'm just going to imagine that it's someone narrating something or it's a news presenter or something. And some of it might be interesting, useful and helpful. Some of it might not be. I'm going to listen. I'm going to acknowledge. I'm going to listen. Then I'm going to decide how to respond. I'm going to decide what to do with that information. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Moving forward a little bit, when when we were working together and you know you you felt like you were starting to feel better with everything that was going on, you know you felt like you were on the right track in terms of creating better conditions for sleep, responding in a more workable way to the difficult nights and the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with those difficult nights. Then your thoughts started to be. Hmm, Maybe it's time for me to leave my parents, return back to the co-op again. And of course, then the mind starts to worry. Well, now are we going to be back to square one if we do that? Is sleep going to become a problem again? Even though that process of moving back is probably something that was important to you and more aligned with the life you wanted to live, um, your mind was going to be generating all this concern about sleep. How did you end up dealing with that situation, um, that, that kind of apparent conflict between I want to do this with my life, but my mind is generating all this concern that if I do do that, which is important to me, I'm going to be back to square one or I'm going to really struggle with sleep again. Yeah, so th that was kind of a plot twist, actually. And it, it, that's another reason why it's like, oh, it's these things always feel easier to feel grateful for in hindsight. I was not grateful for Absolutely. my yet during it. I thought it was ruining my life and it was just awful. And I couldn't, I'm not even an ounce of gratitude, but in retrospect, this is a big pivot for me in a, a moment where it wouldn't have happened without the insomnia and, and moving home. Because actually, as I was home, um, I actually did, you know, realized that I didn't, after a long period of feeling stressed or moving back to the community, I actually realized that I, I didn't want to go back. And I, what I wanted to do was actually buy a condo. Um, and mm. I was feeling strong enough. I was feeling like I was sleeping well. I was feeling strong enough. And, and I also, I think, had like the like nourishment of being with my parents for kind of a big life decision like that. And so... I actually ended up not going back to the community and actually buying a condo and now I live alone and 
um, I actually love it. And it's been like a huge life change for me and like catapulted me into this really like next phase of my life. Um, and honestly, I don't think if it weren't for the insomnia, moving home, having this long space to like one heal and reflect. And I think actually the insomnia getting through that, like gave me confidence, um, that, I could do hard things, you know, and like, I don't know, mm -hmm. I think it like built my resilience and helped pave the way for me to make this decision of buying the condo. I think that the insomnia actually really helped like build my confidence in making this next big step in my life. Did you have any concern when you were exploring that idea of buying a place, um, living alone? Were there any kind of thoughts or concerns coming up from your mind about, well, what's this going to mean? Like, what if your sleep problems do come back? What, what are you going to do then? Maybe we should hold off. Was there any of that kind of stuff going on? Or did you just feel like, you know what, I'm just going to do this and not give sleep. Sleep didn't really come up as a, as a second thought for you. No, it, it definitely came up. Um, like, no, I was quite afraid. And, it, and I think I was like, especially afraid to return back to the community, which is why like I, I got, I got like I was at my parents maybe like seven months, and by the end I was really ready to leave. Like it needed to end because I just I love them, but it was too much. I, I needed to be with like yeah. young people living my independent life. But I think I was I because I was deeply afraid of it coming back. That kind of kept me there a few months more than probably otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to just reflect back on how I dealt with that. Uh, I don't know. I think it was just kind of through like the same things I've been saying, just listening to your podcast a million times, just doing your program. I think I also did actually, like, I'm just remembering, I think I did some special calls with you where I just, it felt good. It felt good to know you were there, to be honest. Like, I remember, like, some, that was something I thought about too, is I remember I messaged you and I was like, I just want to make sure that, I can set up a coaching call with you if I need, even though this program's over, if I have a relapse, you're there and I can set up a call. And you're like, yes. And I think just knowing that your program was here and you were here was really grounding. I, I actually remember thinking that during these moves, like I need to build up my toolkit. I need to have these fallback plans. I need to make sure like resources are here. I need to make sure I can do a 30 minute call with Martin if I'm having a like regression and I'm freaking out. So I think, yeah, I think knowing I could set up a coaching call with you at any time, or not any time, but that was an available resource I could pull on if needed, was really helpful yeah. in the transition. I know that when we were originally working together, you were still taking the medication. You weren't quite ready to move away from it yet, but at the same time, it was one of your goals to move away from that. Um, I'm curious to hear where you are in that process now. Is this something that you've completely moved away from? Is it something that you kind of have as a backup plan? And what was that process like for you of moving away from medication as an option to responding to difficult nights or to somehow try and generate sleep? Yeah, that's a great question. So the medication, um, so, you know, the whole time I was on it, I was so fragile and I just was so scared of just doing anything that might tip the boat. And the medication, it was trazodone. It wasn't like um, Ambien or anything. So it was kind of more of an anti-anxiety medication. So I, I wasn't experiencing any really negative side effects. It was more, but so it, it wasn't interfering with my life in any big way, except for the fact that like, I don't want to be on an anti-anxiety medication if I don't have to be, you know, and I don't want to just be on this for mm -hmm. life. Like, that's an easy thing to just stay on for life all of a sudden. And it's like, do I need to be on this? Um, but anyway, because of the fear of just, it was really traumatic, you know, with the insomnia and I just really wanted to be safe and it, with the move to my new place and everything, I ended up staying on the trazodone, gosh, I think I, like over a year. I was just not ready. Yeah, I was not ready to stop it. Mm -hmm. And it actually took a pretty big sleep event to get me to, to, to get off of it, which is uh, I was doing, I, as I mentioned, I, I started this master's program in London. And um, there, there was a period of it where we were supposed to go there for two weeks of classes. But because of COVID, we couldn't. So I was on this insane schedule of starting class at like three in the morning 
and finishing class at like oh, wow. awful. I do not recommend it. It's not a good way to learn. But I was on the schedule of having to start like in a statistics class, not even fun class, like trying to learn statistics wow. and data is like the worst. But yeah, so like 3 a.m. start, you know, I had to completely change my sleep schedule for two weeks and like go to bed at like five, wake up at two. It was just wild, but I did it. And I remember after that, I was just like, I do not need medication. Like, I really feel comfortable that I am at a place of maturity with the sleep and it's all me. And I'm, I'm just, I feel confident enough to stop this. And I just stopped it cold turkey, which, and I, I don't know if that's the right way to do it. Like my doctor is like, oftentimes it's better to taper off. But for me, I was just like, I don't, I just want to be done with it. And I, I it was an anti-anxiety mm. medication. So I remember I felt a bit of like, low feelings you know like kind of like not feeling happy like a little bit of the um just kind of like come down of it for a couple days and i think there were after that like off nights you know um and i i, I remember thinking like is it the medication is it not but it's like no it was just life you know like off nights are normal and i think mm. it, i'm so happy I, i've been off it i've been off it like since december and yeah, like, because it just, it, I just feel like it would have been so easy to just stay on it and have it be something I was on for, like, five years. Because, again, it wasn't, like, really strongly having any super negative side effect. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, but it, it took a moment of incredible sleep empowerment to stop it because it, it, it was scary. It was a very scary thing to do. I think it's something we only get from experience, from experiencing that for ourselves, experiencing successfully doing something that's challenging, but important, um, that's meaningful, but difficult. Um, it can really just be so empowering and help us again, recognize that we can still do things that are important, even when we might be struggling with sleep or we might be struggling with difficult thoughts or we might be feeling tired and fatigued or feeling like we can't concentrate. It's actually quite remarkable we, what we can actually achieve when we experience that. Maybe we realize that we maybe don't have to put so much pressure on ourselves to get a certain amount or type of sleep or to be feeling or thinking in a certain way um, in order for that to happen. Totally. And like, as you're talking, I just remembered one other like thing about getting off the medication is like, I feel proud of myself for like getting through insomnia. I, I feel like empowered by it, except I do feel like when I was on the medication the whole time, it's like, you did all this stuff, but then there's the medication. And I, I feel like I couldn't like give myself full credit for all I had done and feel like yeah. truly empowered in it because I was like still on this medication even though I knew the medication wasn't doing anything. Like I really could tell it wasn't doing anything, but still it was like robbing me of being able to take full credit for everything I had done. And so, mm. yeah, that was also just another benefit, just being able to really fully say I have done this and I like without medication um, or like I know I, I, without yeah. this kind of like lingering thought of like, well, I guess I had this other thing too. We can still, practice um this new approach even when we're taking medication right so that's one thing when i'm working with clients if they're taking medication it really doesn't i don't encourage clients one way or another because to me it doesn't really matter quite so much what really matters is we're just practicing a new more workable approach to insomnia um you know we're changing our behaviors practicing new habits and we can do all that practice, whether we're taking medication or not. And then yeah. once we feel ready, maybe we'll have that big insightful moment like you described, or maybe we just get to that point where we feel ready to make changes. Then, you know, then we can talk to our doctors and come up with a plan about that. Um, but really the medication isn't really, doesn't have to be a hindrance to making changes. Um, what's important is just practicing making changes if our current approach isn't working or isn't proving to be helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. And like, as yeah, as I mentioned, I, I was on the medication like over a year and I needed to do that. Like, I, yeah, I was not ready to come off of it. It was like the thought of it. Was, yeah. I really needed to wait and listen to myself until the thought of going off it wasn't highly stressful. And at that moment I was able to, but it was a long, long period where the thought of going off it was highly stressful. And like, I, and like, I think that bringing your and again, it's like, 
I was on the medication and I was doing all this stuff and sleeping really well. Like it that's, that's enough to be something that is like an either or with the medication. And I actually remember sometimes I would, yeah, like I, I, I was very pro, like I, I felt very good about being on the medication during everything. I didn't think it was a bad thing. Um, so I just, I, I guess maybe my ending mark, my, my ending comment might have made it seem like I thought the medication wasn't good and was holding me back from full empowerment. But no, I'm such a proponent of like just being gentle and kind and in the bringing in the medication if necessary, because it was for me quite necessary. And again, like I, I took a long time to get off of it and I felt okay about that. You know, I wasn't, I felt that was good that I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we've talked about that, that change in the relationship we have with sleep itself, nighttime wakefulness, all the thoughts and the feelings that come with it, um, practicing separating our thoughts and our feelings from our actions a little bit, maybe gaining some independence from them. Was there anything else that you can think of, maybe from a behavioral standpoint, any new habits you developed or changes that you've made that we haven't spoken about that you feel were really helpful? One is three things I'm grateful for from the day or three highlights from the day. Um, and I just, I don't even like articulate it very nicely, but I just jot it down. And then I feel like I fall asleep thinking of positive things from the day and feeling mm -hmm. more grateful. And I, really, I think that helps for me, like having that practice every day. It's like really nice reflection at the end of the mm -hmm. day before bed. So what's an average night like for you these days, Jesse? Yeah, an average night for me these days is I will, I eat dinner pretty late. So I'll probably finish dinner around 9, 30, 10, and then I'll go into my room and from probably maybe like 10, 30 to 11, 30 is wind down time. So I'll, yeah, so I'll do the, sort of the same things that you recommended. Like I, I still need wind down time. Like even like not having insomnia, I find that period really important, especially if I've been out in the evening or done anything. I'll read a book mostly. And yeah, nor normally it'll take like, I don't know, I'll fall asleep and then I still wake up in the middle of the night. I'll wake up a couple times, but just like normal, go to the bathroom, mm -hmm. fall back asleep. I'll probably fall asleep by like 12 and normally I'll sleep like eight hours and it's just, yeah, normal, normal cycle of sleep typically. How about your days? Any changes there since you've got to this point where insomnia is kind of more behind you in the rearview mirror rather than right in front of your face blocking your view of the entire world around you? Overall, I think the biggest thing that's impacted me, which we've already discussed, is that if I'm not feeling well, regardless of whether it's sleep, maybe it's just other things that have been upsetting or I'm just feeling depressed or anxious or whatever, I still do the things that I had scheduled or I still plan to do things. And for me that really, and, and I think this is good for me. Like, I think this is a good way to work through these, like this negative not feeling well state. And that I think has really helped for me personally in my life. And, and again, being kind, not doing anything aggressive and just forcing myself to do hard things when I'm not ready. But I think overall, just the mentality of like, if you're feeling low, whether it's sleep or otherwise, getting out and doing stuff tends to help. That's like actually a good thing. Um, that's definitely helped improve my life, I think. Jesse, I'm really grateful for all the time that you shared to come on and share your story. Like we were talking about earlier, they're just they're so helpful for everyone listening. And I just know that everyone listening to this is going to be taking something away from our conversation. So I'm really grateful for you coming on and sharing your experience. But I do have one last question for you, um, which I'd be really grateful for you to answer um, if you've got a few more minutes to spare. And it's this. If someone with chronic insomnia is listening and they feel as though they've tried everything, that they're just beyond help, they feel like they can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? First, I would just say you are not alone. You are not alone. There's so many people in the exact same situation who feel the exact same way. And it's a really normal situation that a lot of people are grappling with. And two, just tr as much as you can, trust in the process. And just the ups and downs, the twists and turns, the unexpected moments, just trust in the process. And you, 
I, you, you will, you know, move through this insomnia episode and you will, I think, do really well and just trust. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. So thanks again, Jesse, for taking the time out for your day to come on and share your stories. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I've so appreciated hearing all the stories on your podcast. As I've mentioned, they've been like life changing for me. So I'm so grateful I could come on and share mine. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to move away from struggling with insomnia, and toward living the life you want to live, I would love to help. You can get started right now by enrolling in my online course, or you can book my phone coaching package. My online course runs for six weeks. It will help you make changes that can create better conditions for sleep. It will help you identify and get rid of any behaviors that might be making sleep more difficult and it will help you respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it in a more workable way. You can work through the course in two ways. You can choose the self-coaching option and work through it by yourself with the support of an online forum that is available only to clients. Or you can choose to add one-on-one email coaching and work through the course with me by your side. With the one-on-one coaching option, you get unlimited email access to me for eight weeks, starting from the day you enroll. Anytime you have a question or concern, anytime you're unsure about anything, anytime you want to focus on the challenges you face or any difficulties that show up, you can email me and I will be there to coach and support you. With the phone coaching package, we start with a one hour call, voice only or video, your choice, and come up with an initial two week plan that will help you create better conditions for sleep and practice moving away from struggling with insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it you get unlimited email access to me for two weeks after the call and a half hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, And as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.